0: Abide with me Abide with me Don't let me fall And don't let go Walk with me And never leave
1: This is the Influencers Network podcast. I'm your host Brian Craig, I'm the executive director for Influencers in Bentonville, Arkansas. Well, we are continued to share talks that happened at our National Summit. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear this This next one. It's going to be a two-part interview, but this was a very, very special moment that happened at our National Summit where Rocky Fleming, our founder, was on stage with Pete McKenzie, our regional director from Orange County, and also Sam Parsons, who's been the worship leader out there in Orange County for several years, and also has been always been our song leader at our national summits and rocky got a a chance to just interview these guys because they're they're sages in our ministry they've been around for a long time they've been been following the lord and 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 making disciples and living for him for many years and both of them uh, experienced tragedy and losing their wives in the last couple years as well as some personal challenges as well so you'll enjoy hearing rocky uh, to interview these guys, and and just seeing the three of them on stage was was just something very special I'll always remember as I think about this ministry and the history of this ministry. So anyway, enjoy this uh, special interview with Rocky uh, interviewing Pete McKenzie and Sam Parsons, part one.
2: Hey, uh, guys, uh, I wanted to have the privilege of an interview with these men. I want you to get to know them inside out. You hear me say that all all, all the time. And uh, I don't know really what's going to happen here. This was kind of happening, but I believe it's going to be something of a memorial for this ministry to look at these two great men that have always been a part of this ministry from the beginning. In fact, Sam, I believe it was when we had our first gathering uh-huh. that you and I were talking, you said, Rocky, I would like to be your worship leader when you have your national conference. Yep. And, and, yeah, almost 20 years ago. That's right, and you have been that, and yep. and uh, you're you're the songbird of this ministry, wow, I tell thanks. you. Thanks. So it's a privilege to be able to to have this time to interview both of you. And as you know, guys, Pete McKenzie and I have been best friends for 55 years, uh-huh. and uh, goes back to our baseball days and then uh, we we bridged it
0: a lot together most of it's his fault. <laughs> did Thank your you mic Mike's work I,
2: I <laughs> <laughs> hey uh, buddy just keep it turned off it's okay <laughs>
0: <clears throat>
2: <clears throat> that has to be an alabama joke <laughs> No offense, guys. I've he never
0: met a Mike he, and liked me.
2: For the guys from Alabama, he went to Auburn, so I can get a cheer on that one, right? <laughs> so uh, anyway, Pete and I have been, uh, I mean, closest of friends, and our, our wives have been closest of friends, and our our children are named after each other, and it's just been a, a long, long period of time. And Sam is, uh, well, I got to know you probably... Uh, it's I guess probably about twenty something years ago right. when y'all were meeting at, at the uh why the the, boys and girls club right and I remember this about you I remember that you were a one man band that's right and and I remember you sitting there and you were strumming and you were patting this foot like that and you're still doing it now yeah I still do and you just walk into us man and I and I came away and I said I have never been led to worship like that that's and I think it's because you or a leader of worshipers, yep, because worshiper. you lead in worship. Yeah. yeah, I
3: was told, you know, years ago when I first started leading worship, uh, an old worship leader, a really neat old man, and he said, I said, what's the secret of being a good worship leader? He said, oh, man, there's three things, you just three words you just got to remember and drill into your heads. I said, what is it? He says, be a worshiper. Yeah. He said, if you're a worshiper, they'll follow you into worship. He said it's a natural, natural thing. So for me, it's real. It's all it's worship. Whether anybody else gets out of it or not, I hope they do. But I'm not worried about that as much as I, I want to be authentic to go to the throne room.
2: Oh, you do it. You do it. Amen. So, so let me let me turn my attention a little bit to this guy, can I? Because yep. uh, you know the word is grace. Mm. I'm going to ask you guys a question about the incomparable God of grace that we have. I want you to give me uh, uh, your answer to this question, and that is, how has God proved himself to be the God of grace to you? Now, Pete, you are a man of grace. If ever I've known a man that I would say is the most gracious man, I know you. Excuse me, but you've modeled that. You've modeled it in so many ways. And I tell you that, tell these guys this in an emotional way because there's something that stirs in you that tells me that you know God in a very gracious way, that you know His grace and it sets you free.
0: Tell us about your take on that. Well, you know, we're saved by grace through faith. Amen. Amen. And um, grace is a rare commodity from any other God but our God. When you come to know Jesus Christ and you're saved by grace through faith, then we're naturally and we have all the power to have all the grace that he had to forgive us, we can forgive each other in the same way. You know, most recently, um, God has shown his grace toward me um, in losing my wife, as many of you know that story. You know, Paul said in Philippians, he didn't just say in chapter 1 for me to live as Christ to die as game, but he also told the Philippian church that it's been given to you not only to believe in him, but also to be able to suffer for him. And I found that suffering is a grace. And suffering brings you to that place where you can be angry with God or you can cooperate with God in what he's doing in your life. Now, God gives me grace to do either one. He gives me freedom to do either one. Had I gotten mad and angry with God because he took my best friend and love of my life to heaven, I could have done that. But God had shown me so much grace, and grace is unmerited favor giving toward one who doesn't deserve it by one who doesn't have to give it. And so God has given me so much grace in my forgiveness and my salvation that that keeps me going every day. Um, All right, let me stop you there, because I, I want this.
2: To, I want to interact here, Ken, because you just you just said a key thing there, and that is you've been g- given grace and you've been forgiven so much that it causes you now to look outward and give it away yourself. Did I hear that, Sam? What do you think? Is that is that been your experience with God's grace to you? I um, I admire Pete a lot for that. I'm he's
3: walking it. In- I think, stronger than I did when I lost Colleen. I went through a, a, about two, three months of disappointment with God. Mm. And, uh, you know, I prayed that uh, um, John sixteen twenty three, 23, when Jesus, it's red-letter Bible that Jesus is talking, and he says, truly, truly, I say to you that anything you ask of my Father in my name, I'll do it. And I was on my knees at uh, Providence Hospital when Colleen was dying, in Waco. And I was just crying to the Lord, that verse, and Lord, just bring her home to me. Take, let me take her home. I'll take care of her and just give her to me. And it didn't happen that way. She passed. And so then I was confused. I was, I thought, what else in the Bible do I not understand? It is, I never did question the Bible. It's just, I thought, why, why am I so stupid about, I didn't get the little idiosyncrasies. Maybe it's different in the Greek. I don't know. Maybe I, I just don't get it, you know? And so I, had a struggle with the Lord, and so, but I made it a daily struggle uh, with the Lord, and uh, and finally, I just started realizing the grace that God was giving me, that he'd given me a great wife, he'd given me a great life with her, he'd given us great kids and grandkids, and, I, and out of a person's life, a lot of people don't get that, and I got the love of my life, I got the passion of my life, we were passionate with each other, we almost killed each other a bunch of times, but... We, but we really loved each other a lot, and uh, we were crazy in love with each other. We were just two, like, little kids in love with each other. So when that happened, I had to try to get to a place where, and finally I got to a place and God said, uh, are you going to trust me? And uh, he gave me the grace to trust him.
2: All right, so let me stop you there, because now I heard you talk about you crying out in anger. Yeah. Uh, your, you came to me at that I time. I did, and and, uh, and 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 it was a it was a it was a, a blessing for me to be there with you and to lift you up because yeah. you've lifted so many people up. Yeah. But Pete, you uh, you also mentioned something about grace gives you uh, the ability to to kind of be angry with God sometimes and know it's okay. Is that right? Yeah. To cry yeah, out. Yeah, that's well, right. Give us your thought on that.
0: Well. <clears throat> You know, as I look back, God prepares us for what's coming ahead if we'll allow Him to, if we'll cooperate with what He's doing. I have to be reminded on a regular basis that He's God and I'm not. Amen. That I serve Him, He doesn't serve me. That I exist for His pleasure and whatever His plan is. And from a little boy, I can remember sensing God and sensing God's presence. Um, I don't know all I understand about all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't understand all I know about all that. Um, but I know that I sensed his presence when I was just a young man. When I was a young uh, husband and, and uh, father, I had a five-year-old when Susan was pregnant with our uh, second child, and um, a major turning point in my life in regard to faith and grace happened during those days, and she was in the, the labor room having our second child, and I was in there with her, in the they kept checking the monitors and kept coming in and checking. Finally, they said, Mr. McKenzie, you got to leave. Susan's, we're losing that baby, and we got to prepare her for emergency C-section. Yeah. So I went out in the father's waiting room, and I went into a closet, and I just started praying. I said, God, I pray Susan will be okay, and I pray the baby will be okay. And I prayed that for about five or ten minutes, and I got out, and I was walking back and forth, and I was praying the same thing. Finally, I just said, you know, God, that's all I got. I don't have any real flowery, deep prayers. Just, I pray that Susan will be okay and the baby will be okay. And the reason it was a turning point is for the next two questions that God asked me. He asked me a question. He says, well, let me ask you a question. He says, how much control do you have over what's going on with Susan and the baby in there? And I said, well, I have no control. Now, a man doesn't like to get to a point where he has no control. Amen? And, um... So I said, that's why I'm praying to you because you're the sovereign almighty God and you have all control. And then he said, let me ask you another question. Since I'm sovereign almighty God, would you purpose in your heart to praise me no matter what happens to Susan and the baby in there? And I said, you mean if they die, would I praise you? And he didn't answer that question because I knew the answer to that question. And that begged the question in my heart of my concept of who God was is God good? Is God sovereign? Right. Is He good all the time? Right. Does He have a good plan for my life? Does all things work together for good with God? Is He gracious and loving and kind and merciful? Now, He's either all that or He's not. Right. And I had to make a decision that I can either trust Him with my wife and my unborn baby or not. And he's either all those things or he's not. And I decided that's who my God is. And if it's not him, I want to go find the God who is all that. But I came to the conclusion that in my heart that that's exactly who God is. And I can trust him to do the right thing and then praise him no matter what he does. And what he does is right. About 30 minutes later, the doctor came out and said, Mr. McKenzie, I'm sorry, but we lost your little boy. Now, we didn't know if it was a boy or girl in those days prior to birth, and um, so that didn't knock me off my balance, like hearing, Susan, you have a brain tumor did, when I heard that Susan had a brain tumor, but it didn't knock me off my balance, and I was in my early 30s in those days, and um, just a young missionary with a Navigator Ministry, and... Um, i never experienced the grace and the love and the comfort that i got during those days with god mm. and you know one principle i've learned is it, that that uh, we have to be very on our toes when it comes to making decisions like that in other words i can make a faith-based or a fear-based decision right and fear says what if he doesn't what if they don't live what if they die fear looks at all the consequences faith says god i'm going to praise you even if even if they die, because you're almighty God and you know what you're doing. And so in deciding to do that, God gave me peace like I've never had. You've heard of the peace that surpasses understanding. And uh, that, that was maybe the first time I've ever experienced that in a dramatic way like I did in that. So, so let me ask
2: you a little bit, because how old were you at that point? 33. 33, and you just kind of begun in your ministry at that time, is mm-hmm. that right? And so that was a foundation. That was a, a foundation for the next several years of your life that you would build on. I've heard you share that story many times to many people, and it was uh, it was a it was a, a memorial in many ways in your in your life.
0: Well, it was a turning point for me because I believe that the most important thing about a man is his concept of who God is, because that governs his decisions. It, it makes all the difference whether you're going to make fear-based or faith-based decisions. And God never honors fear, and he always honors faith. Yeah. So talking about being out of
2: control, you guys took this thing ahead of me, and I didn't get my questions. So I'm going to back up a little bit if I can. You know, we're talking about guys who are mature in the faith now, and I want to get to that, but I want to digress a little bit. I want to back back several years. I want to talk about when you first got to know Christ. Uh, Sam, yeah. answer that question for us. I was an older guy. I was 34. 34. Uh, I was raised in a
3: Southern Baptist home, but it was just name only. basically. Texan, right? Do Texas, yeah. Texas. And, uh, but I, didn't, I knew a lot about Jesus and a lot of stuff, but I didn't really believe in Jesus. So uh, I, mean, I did not not believe in him. I just, you know, I just
2: didn't have an opinion on him. So thing. wait a minute. Let's say that again. You knew about him? But you didn't know him. Yeah, I knew okay. about him. Okay.
3: And so at um, 34, I won't go through the whole test going, but at 34, I got to a point in my life where I um, started wondering if I, everything I thought was true was really true, because a lot of the stuff that I'd thought was true, you know, trust a girl and she's cheat, cheat on you, and I thought she was true, and, and, uh, and I thought this alcohol would make me feel better, but it didn't, and stuff like that. And I thought, gosh, I need to find what really is true. And I started searching for truth. And so I started looking at different stuff. And I never really looked at Jesus. And uh, a friend of mine sent me a Bible, or sent me a Bible verses. And I started reading the Bible verses. And I thought, wow, that rings real true. I never knew anything in the Bible was that true. Mm. And so, um, and then long story short, I I met the Lord when I was 34. And uh, I got the real thing. It wasn't, you know, a... Um, I, I wasn't energized to go up front and go get dunked or none of that stuff. I, I wasn't motivated by some big thing. I, I was having a heart talk with God, and as I was sitting in the pew, and finally when they did the altar call, I, I went forward. But I didn't go forward believing in Jesus. I went forward saying, I want to know the truth about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And this looks like a place where you might get to know it, so I want to know. So I just stood there with my eyes closed begging God to, reveal himself to me. And I heard a voice that said, your sins are all forgiven. Yeah. I died for you.
2: And boy, you had those sins, didn't you? Yeah, I did. You you were a professional. I was were, a professional sinner. A professional. No, no, no. He was a professional musician with groupies. Yeah. What's the name of the group? That you I had hair
3: in? then. And I yeah, was yeah.
2: What was the name of the group that you were with? I was with a group, uh, an older group. So a lot of the older
3: guys will remember was a group called the four lads i was a bass singer four lads can you believe that and then uh and then i went on to do other record things and with abc and united artists and stuff right
2: so but that's a long and you did serious sin in dinner that time didn't you it was serious (laughs) i
3: was serious about music i didn't i didn't think about my spiritual life yeah and but at 34 god turned the light on and i've been insatiable in the word ever since and i've been uh i'm not backsliding there's nowhere to go backsliding i mean you know so, so I've been on fire for the Lord for all that time. Been good. Pete oh. and I started 25 years ago.
2: All right, I'm gonna get into that. Yeah, I don't, love don't that. take control of this thing yet. Okay, I'm too, I'm gonna wrestle you guys back. Okay. All right, Pete. Can I can I trust you here that you won't go somewhere? No. <laughs> all right, <laughs> Sam. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, Pete is from Birmingham, Alabama, but he was actually born in Mobile, Lower Alabama, huh? L.A. Yeah, and uh, I know this story. I know this story that you uh, grew up in Hunter Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, and uh, and you were you were a sensitive kid of the Lord, weren't you?
0: You know, my mom. I found the uh, baby book that my mom kept on me after she had passed away. I found it in one of her drawers and. I never really looked too much at it, but one day, not too long ago, I looked at it, and she mentioned in there that twice during my junior high, high school years, I had walked forward at an invitation to come mm-hmm. and surrender to a full-time Christian service. Really? I don't remember that at all.
2: <laughs> well, oh, Bob McKenzie remembers your brother. He's the one that was got uh, embarrassed about you uh, going up and down
0: that aisle all the time. Well, you, I didn't know what to do you with You were wearing sin.
2: out the carpet. Yeah, they, <laughs>
0: I, I rededicated my life so much in my church that they named a carpet after me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, 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 this is the rest of the story. And I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. That you were playing professional foot, uh, baseball. You had played at Auburn. He was a really great baseball player there. He was all SEC his sophomore year and went to the World Series, um, the uh, college World Series uh, signed with uh, was it Detroit uh, out of out of college and you were in the Rocky Mountain League uh, and you were reading Bobby Richardson's story where he had talked about that he could be a professional a really good professional baseball player and, and still be an uncompromising Christian and you read that and you said he's got what I want. In all of those years that you were going up and down that aisle, you never found Jesus, did you? Mm-hmm. But you found him there. Tell them that.
0: Well, you know, I had wanted to be, and this is, I was reading Bobby Richardson played second base for the Yankees, and I knew he was a Christian ball player. And when he just said in his book, for the first time in my life, I realized I could be a professional baseball player and an uncompromising Christian at the same time. I'd never seen one of those guys. And uh, But I wanted to be that kind of guy, and so this was my sinner's prayer. I said, God, I am a total failure trying to be a Christian. I can't keep the rules. I was in Romans 7 before I ever knew about Romans 7. (laughs) And uh, Paul wrote it just for me, you know, things I know I should do, (laughs) I I never do, and the things I know I shouldn't do, I love doing all the time, wretched man that I am. And so uh, that question got answered, who will save me from this, as Paul said. And uh, so that night I said, God, I'm a total failure trying to be a Christian. And I know I'm not the man you created me to be. And this is what later on, not that night, but later on it kind of mystified me. But I want to be. Would you make me that man? And that night I came to know Christ. I didn't know that's what I was missing. I didn't know I was searching like Sam was searching for truth. I was searching to find out how to have a clear conscience, how to live a life that I wanted to live but I had no power Mm -hmm. to live. And that night, my life changed dramatically.
2: And I can testify that it has never been the same. You, were, you did a flip-flop, and you went the about face, and I've never seen anybody that, that did that uh, like you did. And uh, so, um, guys, I want to now fast forward a little bit. I want to talk about at what point in your, in your life that you felt the call of God to go in full-time ministry. Sam, why don't you answer that first?
3: I felt right away. At, felt, 34 uh, at 34
2: years old?
3: At 34 years old, I felt like that I had a new man. He puts it, you have, you're under new management. Mm-hmm. And I became under new management because I just, from that point on, I thought, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to serve God. And so I was, it was a real dramatic change for me. I mean, it was a 180-degree change. I went from a, a dopehead womanizer um guy in Hawaii, lived in Hawaii, and uh, sang in Waikiki, and, I mean, uh, tourist chicks were easy, and so uh, I lived a real rowdy life, and uh, I went celibate, no booze, no drugs, I just I mean, I just stopped, I just thought, mm. no, I'm under new management, my king is different. Vowse, safe faith. Yeah. yeah. And then... Uh, he, I felt as the Lord spoke to me in my prayer one morning as I'm studying the word and praying. And, he, and I felt as he said, I need you to go back to L.A. And um, I'm like, why? I love it in Hawaii. It's great. And he said, the trenches are there. And I need you in the trenches. And I didn't know what that meant. So, okay. I packed up. Sold everything else I had and moved back to L- L.A. Uh, County, you know, Orange County. I actually moved to Orange County. And, um, and then I, I found out uh, that there are some people called worship leaders. Hmm. And uh, I, a worship leader in my church when I was growing up was a pastor's wife. I wasn't going to marry a pastor or nothing. <laughs> uh, so I tried that, and I had, I had no knowledge. I didn't know anything about Christian music anymore. I only knew a lot of the old hymns. and so But I was on fire right away. I decided this is what I'm serving for the rest of my life. Wow. And that's what I am serving.
2: So, so I know that we can probably weave in and out about your career path in, in sure. ministry. But your current ministry and has been the same for the last, what, 10 or 12 years? or No,
3: 27
2: years. You've been doing the same ministry. Yeah. Tell them what you do.
3: I visit nursing homes, visit people in nursing homes and assisted living homes and, mm-hmm. and uh, bring them. But I play everything. I play every kind of music you can think of, you know, rock and roll and folk and all yeah. that stuff. And then I share the gospel and share the hope of Jesus, and we've had close to 3,000 people give their heart to Christ in nursing homes. Uh, 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 it's fun. It's a lot of fun, and it's uh, just, just, just people like us are just going through physical fail, you know, failures in their life, and they're fighting, although a lot are younger now than me in nursing homes. Uh, <laughs> Not just because I'm old, but because a lot of them made bad choices. A lot of them made bad food choices, drug choices, sex you know, choices, and so people in 50s and 60s are breaking down now, and uh, so I'm I've seen a lot of guys in their mid 60s in nursing homes. I'm 70,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and uh, it's nothing to run into a room with guys younger than me. And it used to be the opposite when I first started. You know, it was all old people, but now I is the old people. <laughs> you is them. So,
2: uh, you know, we just got through having a, a, a great uh, t- a discussion about prison and jailhouse ministries, yeah. and, and, uh, and it's safe to say that, that prisoners are forgotten. Yeah. And we're instructed to remember them, right? right? But would you say that people in nursing home are also forgotten?
3: Oh, yeah. You know, James one twenty seven says that pure religion, which pleases our Father, is to go visit the orphans and the widows yeah. and to keep yourself from being defiled by the world. And when you're around uh, widows, you know what? Another thing, Rocky, this thing we are you know, talking about losing our wives, I've been ministering to widows for 27 years, and I had no idea of what it felt like to be a widow until I lost Colleen. And now it's a total different uh, viewpoint that I'm coming from.
2: So I'm gonna get on that. That's going to, we're, we're gonna segue that in a few minutes. I'm kind okay. of saving that for a segment here to talk to you guys about. Okay. And, uh, but uh, Pete, I want to uh, go to you now because let me tell you my impression. You took such a about face in your uh, walk with Christ, and you you continued on in professional baseball another five years. Did you not? And and I observed you during that period of time, and it. it You you had such moral authority with those guys. It seemed to me that you had a ministry going there, although you might not have recognized it at the time. Uh, I would would say that you went into full-time ministry as a professional baseball player.
0: Well, I was like Sam. I knew I was under new management. I knew that the reason that I had played baseball is because I had a chance to. I love baseball, and I could picture myself being a a wealthy big leaguer. And um, everything changed. Only you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, never me mind, um that a boy rocky you got me <laughs> off the <this place.
2: laughs> he's been doing that for 55 years that's called baseball humor guys
0: <laughs> no uh so knowing i was under new management i knew that i was playing baseball who i was playing for yeah. and why is a platform mm-hmm. i'll just share this that i played about five years in the minor leagues and um, I really never had another Christian guy on the team that I could have fellowship with mm-hmm. once, and I was with the twins one year, and, and uh, their AAA team in Evansville, Indiana. And I did have a Christian buddy who was a catcher on that tell team. Tell them
2: that story. That's a really good one.
0: I don't even remember it. Well, <laughs> do I have to tell this thing for you? Well, I prayed that God would give me fellowship with another Christian on the team because it gets pretty lonely on a team like that when you're on road trips and guys are heading for bars and strip joints and, you know, you're not interested. And praise God that God had changed my life because I'd have been right in there with them, I'm sure. Um, I'd rather tell the story about my last year in in the minors. Um, I'd had a couple of good years in the minors, and I was in... Um, with playing with the Oakland A's and playing in my hometown that was where their double-a team was in Birmingham and um, In high school I played first base in college I played second base and then when I made it from double single-a to double-a They brought me up to take uh, Mm -hmm. the place of a third baseman third baseman who had hurt his knee And so I started out in third base and I never got back over to the other side of the infield which I loved at first base and second base and I hated third base and, but this year, that particular year with Oakland, they put me at shortstop. Now, shortstops are made, now, I mean born, not made. And you got to have a special set of tools to play that position. And I didn't have them. So I had a pretty bad year uh, playing shortstop. And it didn't hit that well that year. And I'd had a job in a Christian school in the offseason prior to that season. And I would been invited to come back. And so I decided I'd retire before they could release me. Um, And we were the last game of the year, and I was at my locker, and I was putting my stuff in the locker, and and, uh, this guy comes walking over to me, and he goes, "Um, you know, I've been this pitcher on our team, and he says, you know, I've been watching you all year, and whatever you got, I need. And um, I was thinking, what have I got? I've just had the worst year (laughs) I've ever had. So we went to dinner that night, and he ended up receiving Christ about 2 o'clock that morning. That's the story I was talking (laughs) about. So my uh, that's good. my worst year in baseball is my best year for the gospel.
1: This is the Influencers Network podcast. I'm your host, Brian Craig, Executive Director for Influencers Global Ministries, encouraging you to abide in Christ and go make disciples. God bless you.